Welcome to Gone Fishing, a show diving into the cybersecurity threats that surround our highly connected lives. Every human is different. Every person has unique vulnerabilities that expose them to potentially successful social engineering. On this show, we'll discuss human vulnerability and how it relates to unique individuals. I'm Connor Swalm, CEO of FinSecurity, and welcome to Gone Fishing. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Gone Fishing. I'm your host, Connor, the CEO at Fin, and I am joined by Martin White, the founder of Tech ID Manager. Martin, how are you doing? I'm doing really good today. I'm super excited to be here. Talk. I love doing webinars. They're always so much fun. Awesome. I'm super glad to have you. I know we've talked a bunch in the past, and I met you at several conference circuit shows in the past as well, so it's good to see you again. Yeah. Uh, why don't you tell everyone a little bit more about yourself and a little bit more about Tech ID Manager? Sure. Uh, I'm Martin White. I got a computer engineering degree many moons ago from Clemson University. I worked in software all over the world. I wrote um, business systems, real-time automation systems. I wrote genetic algorithms to do logistical distribution problem solving. I did software literally all over the world. And then for 12 years, I worked at an MSP. I was the head of a development wing. And in that 12 years I worked there, I saw security go from something nobody cared about, something everybody's hyper-focused on. Security became a big deal. Malware became an issue. Email filtering became an issue. All these things became issues. Privileged account management also became an issue, in my opinion. But the industry kind of missed that. Their MSP I worked with had one admin account that 25 people used, and it was used at 400 different clients. So when somebody left, you, didn't, you couldn't revoke their access. You didn't, when somebody did something, you couldn't prove it was them. This was a real problem. needed to be solved. So in February 2019, I quit that job. I started Ruffian Software and wrote a product called Tech ID Manager. Tech ID Manager does privileged account management specifically for managed service providers under the paradigm that you should stop sharing admin accounts because that's what all the cybersecurity frameworks say. That's one like of introduction of me. No, that's awesome. One of the uh, I don't want I don't know if I should call it a fun exercise, but something that I do when I'm in the room talking about awareness training or security hygiene or anything. And of course, tech people or MSPs are like technically gifted and enabled people. They're like, oh, I'm not the problem. It's all those other people over there. Yes. And then I'll ask two simple questions. The first of which is, uh, hey, how many of you are all sharing admin accounts right now? And then you'll just see nervous glances around the room. It's like, yeah, you probably shouldn't shouldn't raise your hand. <laughs> and the second is, uh, hey, how many of you have passwords in your documentation tool right now that you're using? It's like, those are quite literally two of the not only easiest to stop activities, but two of the uh, activities that create the most amount of risk when it comes to just doing dumb things with the access management. Yeah, there's a... There's also the phrase admin password that people talk about, which is everybody talks about the admin password for this network, the admin password for this network. That really implies that there's one password, thus one account that all the people are using. It's really the same kind of thing. Is this, That's a key indicator that they're sharing this admin account among multiple people and they're being unsafe. It's the same thing. I love yeah. it. It's, it's the story I tell. It's like all of us are humans. We're literally biologically wired to fall prey to um, deception and other forms of deceit. So it's like all of you are, last time I checked, all of you in this room are human too, right? So uh, it's an interesting, interesting thought. Yeah. The, uh, and when they, and it's like the, the ease of use, like there are people, there's, uh, I just used to have this great friend named Jimmy and he always told me the story about the monkeys with the bananas. Yep. They did this experiment where they had the bananas and the monkeys in a room and a banana dropped and they sprayed all the monkeys with water. And then one by one, they replaced the monkeys. And then they got to the point where all the monkeys in the room had never been sprayed by water. But when bananas came down, 
the monkeys would fight a new the monkeys would fight a new monkey to keep it off the banana. This said generational knowledge where technicians came into the MSB space, they were given, hey, here's the admin password. That's the way they just, older people did it. It's the way the newer people did it. And they've just passed it down. And it's one of those things where everybody knows it's wrong, but it's so ingrained in culture and so ingrained in the way they do it, they don't even notice. Yeah. You know, I'll give you a quote uh, and uh, I'll give it to everyone listening or watching is I, I always say tradition is just peer pressure from dead people. <laughs> yes. Just makes sense. It's like, uh, all right, I'll give you an example. My grandma, I, I do it for her, right? She, I'm wearing a hat to Thanksgiving or to Christmas. She's like, hey, take your hat off indoors. It's like, I'm not going to fight my grandma. But like immediately I'm like, what? Like, why are we doing this? And it just goes back to some archaic belief that it was like uh, incredibly insensitive to keep your hat on uh, inside. And it, we just never got around. It's like weird. But yeah, yeah, there's a lot of those weird things. There are all kinds of anecdotal stories about, you know, uh, cooking Thanksgiving dinner. Some woman will cut the back of the turkey off to, and put it in a pan and cook it. And she's like, well, that's why my mom did it. And then well, that's why the grandmother did it. But if you go ask the grandmother, she's like, well, the pan I had didn't fit the whole roast. So we had to cut the back of it off. Just doing things that people have told you to do for generations because they told yeah. you to do it without really questioning why. So that, that kind of brings us to a topic that uh, is really, I, I want to say, hot today or talked about a lot is essentially we're living in a world that is incredibly more technically diverse, uh, tech enabled. You hear a lot of words, internet of things is thrown around. Um, people who are born today and have been born in the recent past have no idea what it's like to grow up without a smartphone, without having one of the most powerful computers that, uh, our, our species has ever seen literally in their pocket all day. Um, so today we're going to talk about human computer interaction, but what is that? What do you define as human computer interaction? Human computer interaction is that, that it's more than just the way you use the computer. It's the way that your brain has been conditioned to use the computer. There, there's some really interesting studies about younger generations versus older generations, and specifically in that the way they keep and categorize information in their head. Older generations, people who grew up without the internet, without the ability to just look up everything instantaneously, they would remember phone numbers. They'd remember full categories of information. They knew all the details about some subject. Younger generation, the generation that grew up with cell phones, the one that, oh, I, there's something about this topic, and then they look it up real quick, and they have all that information available. They don't commit to memory the details of information. They only commit that header information. There is information about X. I don't know what the information is, but I can go look it up when I want it. So like the way that people's brains have changed because they're interacting with computers has changed also. And it's led to a big gripe of mine, a big personal gripe is people will read the headlines to articles, but they won't read the article. And they'll think they are there everything they need from the headline. It's the TLDR, too long, didn't read syndrome, where, and the, it happens all over the place in compu human computer interactions. And even the people that are cybersecurity experts will read the headlines sometimes for an article. Like one of my big rant, personal gripe of mine is uh, a couple of years ago, an article came out that said, shouldn't change your password. This was, Accepted. Everybody was happy to hear this because changing your password is a big pain. But nobody really read the whole article. And the article really talked about the psychology of forcing someone to change a password on a regular basis and why that is bad. If you force somebody to change their password every 30 days, they fall into a pattern. They only want to remember a password. So, you know, my dog, my cat, one. My dog, my cat, two. And it get, fell into a pattern. Or you force them to write that password down somewhere because they can't remember a new password every 30 days, every 90 days. So the, that article did not say changing your password was bad. It said forcing people because of the way their brains work and people work and the human community interaction works, 
forcing people to change their password on a regular basis leads to bad habits. You know, that's the, the human computer interaction piece that really is affecting all of society. It's one of my favorite topics, you know? It almost sounds like a human computer interaction is what are all the ways we've tried to uh, jerry rig technology to make our lives easier? Because at the end of the day, what's technology for, anyways? So yeah. To make our lives easier. I'm not remembering a password. Uh, well, I happen to use a password manager, and that's what I recommend to everybody. Don't, you know, don't keep it in a little folder that you keep on your desk or a sticky note, or don't <laughs> keep reusing the exact same password and add a different number to the end of it over and over and over again. It's like, there has to be a better way, uh, but but nobody's really committed to finding it because it's not convenient. Yeah. So they, yeah, and then they started talking about MFA as like the the way humans interact with computers. They did the TOTP for a while. People hated typing that six digit number. So now there's all these passwordless solutions coming out on the market, and it's really interesting. If you go back and do a study, even in the '60s and '70s, there were articles about there are three ways you can authenticate who someone is on a computer system. Something they know, something they are, something they have. Those are the three types. And MFA just means you're using multiple of those three types of things. So like the, the not remembering a password, putting the password in a, in a password manager, then becomes something you have instead of something you know. It's uh, I love passwords and all that kind of stuff. But it's, it's really interesting how people have, are adapting and changing their habits. You know? It is. Uh, humans are incredibly weird and insecure. Like, that's... We're biological, so we're not yeah. we're not ones and zeros. Yeah, very few people want to admit when you talk about the specifically that password. Don't change your password example, because uh, I we do demos. People bring that up all the time. I talk about it to all types of potential clients, and like they're like, "Oh, Microsoft said, don't you?" Well, did you read the whole article? I really have to be polite when I say, "Did you read the whole article? Did you like?" There's a psychology behind that. Changing passwords is a good security practice. Changing password, forcing people is where it becomes a problem. And then you know, it's the human. Human-human interaction also becomes part of human-computer interaction because, like the the recent casino hacks, they were human-computer interaction, but it was the other way. It was the faked voice that was talking to a person that convinced the person this was a human who they weren't really, and then that got somebody's password reset and got access, led to whole hacks. There's a human-computer interaction goes both ways: humans intentionally interacting with computers, and then computers interacting and tricking humans, like the chat GPT thing. That was a chat GPT. One of the AI models was told, was given a task and freedom to do it the way it wanted. And it tricked a person on uh, the mechanical forum to do the task for them by telling them they were blind. They couldn't see, they needed help reading this cute, this uh, code on a website to prove they were, they were a real person. So that stack over for them? Yeah. It was a computer tricking somebody into doing the work for them to get them access to something. There's the human computer interaction is always fun. And there's even an artist in, um, Oh, probably 10 years ago now, an artist in Sweden who gave a random computer program, like 15 Bitcoin, and said, go buy random stuff on the black market on the internet and ship it to this address. He had no knowledge of what he bought. The computer was randomly buying stuff and negotiating prices for it. Illegal stuff. Cocaine started showing up at his house. And is that his fault? Is that not his fault? Because that's a that's one of those human computer interaction things where was the human at fault, the computer at fault? How much autonomy are you giving away? Anyway, I'm going way off on tangents. <laughs> no, that's uh, it's that's a really important topic. Is is human computer interaction currently secure? No, it's not. My kids, uh, that proving who you are to a computer remotely on an interface, 
Um, my kids recently went through the COVID thing at schools and colleges. There were at least four or five different ways they had to prove who they were to take a test. Mm-hmm. One instance, my daughter was taking a test and I didn't know if she was taking a test. She was sitting in a room on her bed on her computer. I came in and started talking to her and she's like, dad, I can't look away from the computer because this webcam is watching me and make sure I don't look away from the computer and cheat. Then you go away. So like the whole time she took a test, the webcam was watching her. Facial recognition software was running to make sure she looked at the computer and didn't look at notes on the wall because that's what people do. That's kids, dystopian. Yeah, very dystopian. And kids are finding all kinds of ways to break the computer-human interaction. It's, uh, it's the, they're the, the little genetic algorithms that are crazy. They figure out all the loopholes. I guess gone are the days when all you had to do was figure out how to turn a VPN on and you could bypass almost everything at your high school because oh, now, yeah. now they've gotten a little wiser to it. They've gotten a lot wiser. They've locked down those computers, but still they're not sufficiently locked down. Yeah. Humans and computers, they're going to interact and we're going to struggle with that interaction. Struggle to prove authenticity, prove authentication and who you are. Yeah. Why, why is securing this human to computer interaction, why is it important and what's it going to look like in the future? It's important because the securing that human computer interaction means that you can prove the person that did something electronically is really that person. This breaks down into bank accounts, taking money, causing crimes to happen, shutting down cars, like all these things are possible remotely over the internet. Shutting down pipelines of gas because you click the wrong button. I was in industrial automation and back in 2000, no, back in 1998, I was in Greenville, South Carolina. And I pushed a button on a screen that started a robot running in Michigan. So like, even then, how did I know that that robot, nobody was in that robot cell. It was a phone call that went on to make sure it was safe. But that really proved to me that there's a lot of physical danger that can happen if you don't prove who somebody is inside a computer when they're moving around. That's why it's important. It kind of makes me think like the only thing that actually identifies who you are is your collection of memories and perceptions. Like everything that's in your brain, like, at the end of the day, your fingerprints can be stolen. If you have any physical authentication device, that could be stolen. Yep. Your DNA or your biology could be, you know, somebody could find a hair of yours and they could, you know, replicate that and use that. It's like the only thing that actually identifies who you are with 100% certainty is your memories and your and your perceptions. Yep. And something all of know. that in your head. Yeah, something you know, something you have, something you are. It's really hard to steal all three. So I guess, uh, you know, if anyone's listening and they're going <laughs> to, they're going to bring human computer interaction, they're going to make it secure. It's find a way to incorporate all of a person's memory. And now essentially what we just described is the plot for uh, that movie with Leonardo DiCaprio, Inception. Oh yeah. Yep. So it's all just a long con. It's all actually just a long authentication. Yeah. That, even what you know, like some the, your memories, because so much stuff is going on the internet nowadays, Facebook and Instagram, TikTok, your memories are kind of figure outable. Yeah. Yeah. That's insane. If uh, if some folks wanted to learn a little bit more about you or a little bit more about Tech ID Manager, where would you like them to go? Let's go to techidmanager.com. Uh, there's all kinds of videos there, me talking about the product. You can request a demo. You can sign up. You can actually use the product. Um, techidmanager.com. Come check us out. We do privilege account management specifically for managed service providers right now. We have more products in the works, though. Awesome. And if, uh, if they wanted to get in touch with you, can they find you on LinkedIn? They can. Uh, Martin White, they'll find me. You're also on roughly techidmanager.com. You can find my information there too. Awesome. Uh, for those of you who are listening or watching, we'll have links to uh, Martin and we'll have links to Tech ID Manager in the show notes wherever you're watching this or listening to this. So if you'd like to learn a little bit more about Martin or human computer interaction or 
where in the world this dystopian future might end up. I'm sure Martin would love to have you reach out and chat. Yes, yes. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Martin. This was a blast. Thanks for having me, Fan. I really enjoyed it. Awesome. Anytime. For those of you listening, those of you watching, thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about creating high-quality security awareness training campaigns that engage employees and change their habits, then check out FinSecurity at phinsec.io or click the link in our show notes. Thanks for fishing with me. See you next time.